Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of The John Sterling Show. I am John Sterling, U.S. Army veteran, and today we are powered by BRC Recovery. Matter of fact, we're not powered by this organization. We're frankly empowered. And I have the privilege today to speak with and interview the tip of the spear for this organization, uh, Mandy Baker. But before that, I just want to make sure we understand where we're headed with this conversation. BRC has been serving the veteran population for a long time, and they are in the business of serving human beings in general for the purpose of recovering from substance use disorder. But veterans have a unique space within this place, and we are trying to give veterans a voice. We're trying to come alongside veterans and help them to understand that there is joy, there is happiness, there is a place that they can find themselves that allows for recovery to be reality and a lifetime and an experience and a journey that they have partnership with. So with that being said, uh, Mandy, really appreciate you being on the, on the uh, podcast today. We've been uh, friends for not very long, but fast friends uh, That's right. from the beginning. Uh, and I just uh, am so grateful that you've uh, taken me up on this opportunity um, to to get to know you a little bit better, to have our listeners get to know you a little bit better. So why don't you just give us a, a brief background about how you got to this opportunity to lead this great organization. Awesome. Well, thank you, John. Thank you so much for having me today. And you're right. We did become fast friends, and I, I really um, love the story of our friendship. Mm. Um, it's kind of one of those things that I think was meant to be. Uh, and meant to be is kind of my favorite way to live life. Uh, I am a big believer in that old adage that says, uh, God laughs at our plans, mm. right? Because it was never my plan um, ever in my life, really, to head up a behavioral health organization. Mm. Uh, I, you know— wanted to be a physician. I went to Tulane University to enroll in their infectious disease and tropical medicine platform and my own uh, mental health and uh, substance use issues kind of got in the way of that. I was incredibly fortunate uh, through the privilege of um, good friends, people that knew about recovery um, my grandparents who helped afford me the opportunity to go to treatment, my mom who was a tireless um, advocate for me to get well, uh, and then a lot of good mentorship down the road and still to this day that that made me able to come to a place where I can sort of pay it forward now, where I can hold space and open doors and come alongside, which is, wow. is one of the things that you said Um of people who oftentimes are overlooked in um, the behavioral healthcare world altogether. Mm. And there are many reasons for that. A lot of it is stigma driven, a lot of it is um, access to service driven. And, um, you know, as, as I took the reins of this organization um, after, you know, being the chief clinical officer for many, many years, I uh, was really blessed and excited and have been supported by uh, my team at BRC, by the board that serves BRC, and by partners like you guys to mm. to look at underserved populations in the space. And mm. certainly veterans are, as much as we don't want 
to think about it, mm-hmm. veterans are one of the largest underserved, underserved cohorts, unfortunately, in America right. in terms of mental health and substance use services. And they are oftentimes people who need it the most because of the things that we as the civilian population um, and our representatives in government call upon them to do in order to keep us safe. Right. That's awesome. You know, in, in that, that notion of partnership, <clears throat> you afforded me the opportunity uh, after we met through a, a common colleague to to create um, a space. I love that, that, that idea that you just threw out there, creating a space and a haven for veterans. And my role has been to initiate relationship-based opportunities mm-hmm. that afford us the opportunity to with a high degree of competence to serve the population, my brothers and sisters that are veterans, in a way that I believe is is going to be very unique and profound uh, with within the recovery ecosystem, if sure. you will. I think I think I'm already seeing that. Um, you know your your leadership philosophy seems to really lean into. Collaboration. Mm-hmm. I, I think you're you're acutely aware of what you are and who you are, and what you aren't and who you aren't. And so, to that degree, there's no uh, no shame in in saying I need to surround myself with people. Absolutely. You know, and that that's really important. Um, we had a recent conversation. You made this statement to me, and it was it could have been taken as just a, another great. Mandy statement, but I, I really dug a little deeper into this and it made me feel, uh, and we're going to talk about this word, mm-hmm. empowered to be part of this process. Mm-hmm. And so you were, you were referring to, to me and you said, John, you know the things that veterans need to hear and you can prompt from me the things that they need to hear from me as well. Uh, John, you're a bridge between BRC and those in the veteran population that we serve. And I don't know if you remember specifically saying that, but I know that's kind of a uh, an echo and and a and a statement of your heart. Sure. When you hear me restating that sentiment, what do you think about? Well, I think about a lot of different things, and you know, the first thing that I want to say to our listeners today is that I am not a veteran. Um, I come from a long line of veterans, both officers and enlisted men. I spent um, this past week with my father, who Mm. is an enlisted uh, Navy veteran, and we talked a lot about sort of his family lineage uh, on the enlisted side. My mom's side of the family tends to come a little bit more from the officer side, Um, also Navy, strangely enough. And then my grandfather's kind of the odd man out, and he enlisted in the Army Air Corps in World War II. Um, And so I have the lived experience of being a family member Mm -hmm. of multiple veterans, Mm -hmm. uh, which I think as an adult, I can look back on some of the experiences that I witnessed with the veterans in my world that didn't make any sense to me at that mm. time. And and now with the education and things like that that I have, I can see them for what they were, a PTSD 
um, episode, uh, legitimate fear of flying from my grandfather, um, cancer and death as a result of Agent Orange from chemical sprayed in Vietnam. Mm. Um, all of those things, you know, kind of have taken on a sharper focus as you and I have worked on this project, but really a bridge and, and what I need to say and what I need to hear. And and sometimes it's more about what I don't need to say Mm. uh, and, and all of those kinds of things, because authenticity wins the day. Absolutely. Right. And if I can say to you, I don't have your experience. But I have another experience over here. I have the experience of recovery. And while you and I don't walk in the same shoes, we can stand on the same shore mm. and help one another, mm. right? So I can't tell you what it's like to deal with combat-related trauma. I can tell you what it's like to deal with the traumas that have happened to me in my own personal story. Um, but I think when people like you and I can come together and sit down and one of your favorite things to say is break bread um, or have open and honest conversations. It's all about finding that common ground. There's enough differences in the world today, Mm. Um, but humanity is our commonness. Mm. And if we can find that common ground. And so if I can say to you, Hey, I'm not a veteran and you can say, okay. And you can say, I'm not, in recovery, but I can say to you, have you ever had something bad happen to you? And you can say the same thing to me. And then we can begin to share those stories about what makes us who we are. Mm. Because really as humans, if we strip away all the other trappings, we're not that different. We want the same thing. That's right. We want to be loved. We want to be heard. We want to be seen. Mm. We want to be accepted. We want to be taken care of Mm. in our weak moments, and we want to be celebrated in our strong ones. And I think that's true for most people. You're spot on. You're spot on. Yeah, so Mandy, I recently spoke with uh, one of the alumni of BRC who is now roughly 10 years sober. Mm. This individual happens to be a veteran. Yeah. And... Um, was actually recommended to me by uh, one of your staff. So there's just a good relational trust dynamic there. But I I asked him the question about what is BRC already doing that is conducive to the military as far as being comfortable stepping in? Like to answer the question, why would a veteran show up at BRC? What would be the motivation? And he right off the bat said, John, The thing that we are looking for as humans, but as veterans, is structure. Ah. Structure. Absolutely. And and he just latched onto that, and we talked for like 15 minutes about that. But from your purview, you answer that question. As the individual that has the opportunity to kind of set the tone and the baseline for, again, knowing what you know about the veteran culture, what would be your answer to the question Mm of why would a veteran— choose BRC for their recovery journey? I'm glad he said that. Uh, and I, I know who you're speaking about, and I, yeah. I can't wait not wait to hear his show. BRC is a good choice for veterans because of those commonalities and those similarities in cultural frameworks 
that we've already spoken about somewhat. Sure. The first thing I would say is the structure. Mm. Structure creates safety. Mm. I would assume that in the military you have structure and routine and protocols and disciplines in order to keep people safe. 100%. And the truth is that same safety translates into our emotional regulation and safety as well, right? If, if we have a structure, I know who to expect, when to expect them, when I eat, when I sleep, when I read, when I clean, you know, if, if I know what's coming, I don't have to fear the future. Right. And if I know what I'm supposed to do, then I can focus on what's really happening inside of me, not so much on monitoring my environment for safety. If the environment's predictable, it's okay to be emotionally unsafe. Mm. And I will translate that. I, I buy what you're saying. Absolutely. We we call it the five W's. Who, what, where, why, when. Right? Mm. Yeah. And and that is, that predicates the vast majority uh, of why the military training, they break us down, build us back up with those in place. Mm -hmm. That's excellent. That's excellent. Yeah. I, uh, and, and, I, and I would say as we move forward with BRC, um, some of the other things or a, a, a specific thing that I think any veteran would notice immediately is the intention for what we just got through talking about, understanding the culture. For sure. When you have a group of people known as the advocacy board that range from two-star generals all the way down to a person that never made it past basic training and the thread that connects them is culture. And they can all sit in a room and, and chop it up with... Absolutely. They, there's no rank to look at anymore. We're human beings and here's what we do and here's who we are and here's what we've been exposed to. So that to me would all be another absolute differentiator mm -hmm. um, of what is happening out there uh, in the recovery space that I think yeah. really BRC is. Uh, yeah. And, and lastly, I would say, you know, we are partnering with a veteran-headed foundation called the Veterans Health and Wellness Foundation who is going to come in and train all of our staff in being culturally competent mm. with the veteran population. Mm. And again, that's an investment BRC is making because we want to get it right. Mm. Yeah, I appreciate that. And I would say beyond the investment, what precedes the investment is the intention. Sure. And I, I think so much of what you're talking about, and you know my passion for the the leadership space, you're, you literally impacted me as I came into this space kind of with um, a, a different form of imposter syndrome. Here I am. And I was even <laughs> explaining to, um, one of the clinicians, uh, how, uh, I would be in, in a meeting with several people or everyone other than me and maybe a couple other people that are in recovery and these, uh, recover the, the recovery humor. I didn't get it. Oh yeah. Right? It's, it's particularly wicked. Sometimes. Right. It's wicked and, and it's pointed <laughs> and it's real. And I just kind of sat there saying, do I laugh? Do sure. I cry? Do I leave right now? But you kind of walked me off that ledge and helped me understand you're okay because you do bring, you know, your 
own lived experience, your own traumas, that humanity uh, to play. And and I, th- I think that's what I really love. And so when I when I was talking about the collaboration, I I think that's such a great asset mm. to the best leaders is that they lean into difficult, they lean into uncomfortable, they lean into I don't know. They don't always have to have the answers. And we talked about this earlier today as well. Um, leaders don't often have a place to go right? when it comes to being led. And and what I've seen um, is, is you really leading from that posture. Uh, look at me, um, not particularly bright and shiny all the time. Uh, I do need other human beings, but that's the beauty and the silver lining, right? It's not the underbelly. It's the, it's the, it's the, it's the bright, shiny lining, which is the humanity locking arms mm-hmm. and saying, we're all, you know, mm-hmm. ruling all that, not all, not that much different. Right. right. Um, so as we think about you not being a veteran and wanting to engage that population more, you and I had several conversations about the great work you'd done, um, kind of by happenstance. Sure. And yet finding that as we looked a little bit deeper into the data, that maybe some of the outcomes weren't the way they needed to be. And I think one thing I also realized about what BRC is trying to do under your leadership is evolving and adapting into going beyond what we've always done, right? Absolutely. And so when you think about that, Part of what you had to literally do, and I saw you demonstrate it, was take your hands off the reins because you didn't necessarily know where to take this thing and and lean into me and other people. But tell me in the context of leadership of this organization, how freeing and how revolutionary that, Mm. that model is. Well, I think we talk a lot about collaboration, right? And... There are many ways to sort of stand that up, lots of ways to bring things to bear. And, you know, my way is not the right way. It's right. just it's just my way. Right. And and my way where I feel comfortable, and again, this will be challenged, I'm sure, at some point in time, is, is to set wide parameters, mm. trust the universe or spirit or mystery or God or, you know, all the names. Trust. Yeah, just trust. Just, just trust. Right. You know, that if you keep the parameters such that things can't get it all the way in the bar ditch. Uh, I'm from right. West Texas, so go. for those of you that don't know what a bar no ditch is, is. Yeah, yeah, it's the ditch. I don't okay. know why they call it a bar ditch. Okay. Um, but that's where empowerment comes in. Mm. Because if I'm micromanaging you to the point that I'm trying to elicit or contain in a tiny narrow box what your response is going to be or what your lived experience should look like Mm. or what a positive outcome for Mm. you and your world is. I can get that, but I will also miss something else. Now, this is not chaos theory, right? Right. I mean, and I I think I want to say that that, you know, we have to be directional in what we're doing. And as leaders, we have to be moving in a direction. 
But I had a very wise man tell me one time, you know, when I stepped into this leadership role, he said, if a question is asked and you speak first as the leader, everyone, because of the power structure, will lockstep in behind your idea and they will do it and it will be fine because you have good ideas. But what if somebody sitting in there has a better idea and you speak too soon and you could have done it better, more efficiently, more cost-effective with better outcomes, and then this person is now empowered to lead, you'll never know. And people that know me know I like to talk. So it's hard for me to be quiet sometimes. Me too. Yeah. But I thought that was a really wise counsel and, and sage advice, and I have been trying to do that, particularly in areas where I'm not an expert. Mm. You know, I know a lot about administration of a treatment center. I know a lot about the lived experience of um, being a female sexual assault trauma survivor, mm. how to get into recovery, um, how to get, you know, yourself out of bed in the morning when you suffer from depression, right. how to, um, you know, save money to not use box color on your hair. Like right. I know these yeah, yeah, types right. of things, right? Pragmatic, things, pragmatic right? things. Right. But I don't know what it's like to have been a combat military veteran. I don't know what basic training is like. Right. I don't know the lived experience of a man. I don't know the ex lived experience of a woman of color. Right. I don't know what it's like to have pervasive TBI. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there are a lot of things I don't know. And I read a lot, and you can read books about it, and that informs those parameters. Right. But, like, what's happening in the middle, that's where the good stuff is. Right. You know, we set, we set some parameters, right. and then we allow people to come forth with humanity, right? The mm. number one predictor, at least it used to be, for success in treatment is if an individual can find a meaningful connection with another person in that space, particularly they looked at connections with staff um, mm. within the first 48 hours. And so when I have a milieu that... People are leaving frequently, right? Like they get there, they leave. They get there, they leave, which happens a lot in, in the in the treatment center space. The first thing I'm going to do is say, like, how are we meeting them at the front door? Mm -hmm. Is our staff representative of this person? And it may not be that that's about race or ethnicity or, you know, even gender, but but it may be about, like, I hate to say like, it may be about something as simple as... When they look around that room, is there somebody else in there who is going through a divorce? Is there somebody else in there who lost their children to addiction? Is there somebody else in there for whom this is their first treatment experience? Or is there somebody else in there for whom this is their 14th treatment experience? Is there somebody? And, and I think that really plays into what we're talking about, yeah. I hope, with veterans yeah, in the sense that if I am... A veteran, and I've experienced a very unique situation, which is unique to civilians, but maybe not to veterans. And I right. come in and I say, hey, 
X, Y, and Z happened to me and everybody looks at me with a blank stare, then I feel different than. Yeah. Yeah. And, and different than is a really dangerous thing for people in general. Mm. If you feel different than everybody else, you've either got one of two things going on, you know, sure. <laughs> either, you know, you're a narcissist or, right. um, you're not in the right spot. Right. And nobody wants to feel like they're not in the right. I mean, I, I think we've all had that experience Absolutely. trying to walk yeah. into a room and thinking, right. is this really where I'm supposed to be? That's right. Yeah. That's right. Wow. So much rich, uh, thought, uh, and, and I, I'm thinking about something we've talked about before. You know, one of your goals is to be a thought leader. Well, thinking is only perceived when words are spoken that reflect the thoughts. And so to have these great conversations. So I'm gonna I wanna turn the conversation towards family again. Mm -hmm. You've referenced your own family, but I know that the dynamic of family and the, these notions of being heard, being understood within the context of the family environment mm -hmm. is so critical that 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 families be addressed and the dynamics within those families be addressed. Um, family's everything, right? And sometimes because of what we go through in life, our family becomes, you know, our, our, our nuclear family becomes fragmented and we've, we pick up people along the way that are our family. But that, that dynamic of our, our blood and the people that ought to be closest to us that are um, not where they could or should be because there's been misunderstanding and there's been stigmatization around things they don't understand. Um, when you think about not only how that impacts military cohorts, but just humans in general, how important is it and how has that been reflected in the approach that BRC has taken to holistic wellness in a family setting? Mm -hmm. Speak to that. Mm -hmm. There are so many ways to dive into that question. It's very broad. Um, and I think our military families have a unique circumstance um, that I, I can't say that I understand from lived experience, but I think there are some similarities in terms of maybe, you know, my life being on the road a lot for work or um, even, you know, people who have pervasive and long-term depression or suicidality or substance use disorder because, you know, just you and I sitting together doesn't, doesn't make it togetherness. Right. You know, there has to be some level of intimacy that we can reconnect with. And, you know, there's, there's nothing more lonely then sitting across from a person that you love, hmm. whether that's your child or your parent or your significant other, there's nothing more lonely than sitting across from somebody you love and being in their physical presence and being absolutely unable to connect emotionally with them. You know, and, and we try lots of different ways. I mean, I think sometimes we pick fights with people just to engage in that mm -hmm. intensity. I think there's, you know, ways that, you know, we engage in other forms of physical intimacy. But but that true emotional connectivity is, is what we're craving. And a lot of times we want to focus that on 
the object of, of our affection. And, you know, the BRC model, there's so many good things about it. And one of the things that we do really well is teach people how to connect with each other when they're in our care. Now, that's not with their family necessarily because their family's not there with them right. when, when you're in an inpatient setting. But if you can learn to connect with somebody where the stakes aren't quite as high, mm. then it makes it easier to reconnect in the process. The other part that we have going on simultaneously is while we're working with, you know, the individual who presents for, you know, acute care maybe, right. you know, we have an entire other staff that is devoted just to the family system. Okay. And I don't want to say, you know, near the twain shall meet because we have to work systemically right. to reintegrate that. But the, but the counselor or the physician or the psychologist or whomever is working with the person in our care is not the same person that's working with the family members. And there's that's, you know, it's becoming more prevalent, I think, in our industry, but I don't think it is the norm. And, and the reason for that is addictive illness, suicidality, traumatic brain injury and the lack of impulse control and sometimes the rage and the, um, you know, the physical impairment that comes along with that, headaches, you know, inability to sort of leave the house and, right. you know, all of those clinical manifestations of that type of injury along with, you know, depression, PTSD, anxiety, uh, bipolar disorder, which, you know, are not necessarily related to any right. of those others. But if we just were to throw out a bunch of clinical classifications, those are traumatic to the family member as well. Right. And, and nothing rips families apart in this country more, in my opinion, than addictive illness. Right. I mean, uh, thousands upon thousands of individuals are incarcerated and away from their family because of addictive illness. Right. Uh, some of them have also committed crimes unrelated to, you know, procuring substances of abuse. Families are broken apart because somebody can't or won't stop drinking. Parents leave their children. Children leave their parents. I mean, you know, if we're not talking about the systemic right. impact of addictive illness, then what are we doing? What are we doing? Right. I mean, what are we doing? Yeah. You know, I, I, I could I could bring you into my facility and I could scrub you up and make you all bright and shiny and send you out into a system that is unhealed and everything moves toward homeostasis. Mm. So as we move back towards homeostasis, is it easier for the person who's been in one of our facilities to drag all the other people up to their level not their level, but right. to their balance point? Right. Or is it easier for this person who has these very effective coping skills to make them feel okay inside right. to just step back into that and say, everybody knows how to treat me when I do this. Nobody knows how to treat me when I don't. Right. And it's one of the hardest things about early recovery. It, mm. it really is because – You've fallen into a rhythm, a cadence, a, right. you know, a, a frequency That's or right. a homeostasis. And and when we change one element of that, everybody has to change. Right. What do we do with that, right? What do we do? It's so confusing. It's, it's one of the hardest and, you know, more difficult things, I think, 
Um, and again, I'll speak as my lived experience as a person in recovery. It's one of the more difficult things to do. You know, we teach people how to treat us. Mm. And that is not something that I say. That comes from a family member of mine, right? Who wow. says very frequently, we teach people how to treat us. Mm. And if you want somebody to treat you different, you have to have their consent and you have to be different. Mm. That's powerful, Mandy. Yeah. That's that's really powerful. Not mine. Not no, mine but, at all. but it, that even makes it more powerful. Mm-hmm. You are, um, it's a transferable concept that you got from somebody else. That I, was, for my family. For your family, right? Yeah. And I think that's why that conversation is so powerful. Uh, recovery is not one dimensional. No. It is dynamic. That's fantastic. It's moving. Um, it takes work. It's a journey. Uh, we're going to talk a little later about this notion of transition and that it's never ending, right? Like yeah. transition, where's this, where's the, where, when, when can I break the tape? Mm-hmm. The likelihood you won't. It, it's just, it's a marathon, right? But I, I, I really love, I really love that. So in the context of this veteran initiative and in, in, in ingratiating BRC uh, on another level of understanding and serving and coming alongside veterans. Is there anything that you can think of? And I and I've, I'll, I got some things I'll okay. remind you of that I've experienced with you simultaneously, but that has been surprising or significant that you've learned about veterans that maybe you didn't know before, or just interactions you've seen that were refreshing or new. Um, anything come to mind? There's a lot of things. And I've had the opportunity to be raised around veterans. I've had the opportunity to have friends who have served and come back. I've had the opportunity to meet you and now the group of friends that you've brought to the table. And I think the biggest learning curve for me is, and I don't want to say it's a learning curve, but but, but the tribe concept, mm. you know, like veterans in my mind or from my outside observation that there's they're a tribe and yeah. there's there's a connection to having served that makes you all able to walk into the room and when somebody else sort of self-discloses or identifies as a person who has served that's right there is an automatic this is not 100% true, but there's an automatic, this is stereotype, kind of like, okay, like, I look around the room, I'm checking, I oh, got yeah. you, I see yeah. you, yeah, oh, okay, right. right? I mean, there's a training, there's an understanding, there's a language, language culture. you know, there's yep. a culture, and, and, and the same is true of recovery. Right. And I think that's one of the commonalities that, you know, we have certainly as we try to kind of, you know— merge these ideas and these cultures together in the sense that recovery is a tribe. And I think you alluded to that earlier in your conversation when Absolutely. you were when you were talking about, you know, the jokes and the language yeah. and the because recovery is also a culture. Right. And and I think that it's it's um something we don't talk about a lot about right. recovery being a culture. Right. And I don't know that we talk necessarily as openly as, as military service being right. a culture. I think we're starting to move in that direction. Right. But, like, I can't help you and you can't help me 
really at a deeply intimate level if I don't understand your culture. That's right. You know, we talk so much. There's there's a lot of language around cultural competency or cultural frameworks or cultural positionality and, you know, all of these big sort of academic words. Right. But the truth is, is like we miss the boat on a lot of it. I mean, I don't want to discount the things that we are getting right in the world, finally. Sure. Um, but there's still a lot of people left out of that conversation. I think veterans are left out of that conversation. Mm. We talk about cultural competency. Yes. Nobody says, well, what are you doing with veterans? People say, what are you doing with people of color? What are you doing with LGBTQIA? And and again, we need to be having those conversations, right. too. But that's, that's not right. this podcast, right? Right. Um, but nobody says, well, how are you addressing veteran culture? Or how do you address recovery culture? Right. You know, I mean, people say, oh, they're veterans. They're great. You know, I think we I think we think about veterans as sort of the representation that we got from the greatest generation and the people who are turning from World War II. I mean, everybody wants to kind of gloss over the reception that our men and women returning from Vietnam got. Everybody wants to pretend like because we have fancy technologies now and tools of war that don't make hand-to-hand combat or that up close and personal stuff in the sense that you know the the conflicts of more recent times and mm. in, in the in the gulf and things like that 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 because it looks like a video game it doesn't impact somebody right. and so this this notion of veterans culture is right. really something yeah. that um, I think I have learned in oh, in our work together, and and the notion of veteran competency—that's right—is something that I mean I don't know. Maybe I just am slow to the party, but no. it's just mind blowing to me. Yeah, you're you're in 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 fact more important in this conversation. Whether you're slow, fast, it's the idea that you are receptive, and I know that one of the initiatives within this initiative is creating a higher level mm-hmm. of cultural competency and we won't get real into this conversation but you have recognized the need for civilian clinicians to be able to understand the culture from a Absolutely. pragmatic day in day out what do i say what do i not say how do i you know lean into this this group of individuals and and i think that the the best way we've seen real time the illustration of how culture um, is more of a bonding than a uh, a divisive conversation mm-hmm. in the military is when we sat in the boardroom and watched a almost private because he never made it through basic training because he had a substance use disorder mm-hmm. and a two-star general who had never met previously come together because they had instantaneously that common bond and to me that validated this whole notion of what i'm able to have the privilege to come alongside you and do and create this advocacy board it showed what advocacy looks like it showed what culture looks like it showed the power of conversation around real life when 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 this young man is petrified 30 seconds before to even speak a word to this general and all of a sudden this general is commenting on the size of his biceps and asking him really real-time questions real-time questions Mm -hmm. about how his recovery is going and all of a sudden you get these two guys that are brothers from another mother Mm -hmm. that are separated by 50 years in age 
and or whatever, but I'm just saying nothing visually in common. Um, so that culture thing is is a big deal. It's a huge deal. It's it's a huge deal, and I and I I'm really I feel privileged to work alongside of a leader that is willing to embrace that and and then not only embrace it factually, but say pragmatically, how do we embrace this as an organization, and mm-hmm. how do we meet people at the door with uh, that understanding? Yeah, that was well, well said. The, well, the great yeah, it was well said. The, the greatest thing is that I can honestly say. I don't know exactly, but I know some people that do. There you go. Yeah. And and again, that's that connectivity. That's that collaborative effort. It's, you know, I think we get so mired in this individualistic mm. notion sometimes that I have to know everything and I have to be all things and I always have to have the answers and I have to be perfect. Mm. And the truth is we're stronger when we all work together y'all yep. you know and 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 one of the things that people may or may not know about me is that you know i'm i i'm not a business person i'm running a business and i right. feel like i have again some really great people helping me learn sort of that language and culture but i was trained as a researcher then got into being a clinician, then an administrator, then a CEO, right? And so as I kind of walk that path, there's different skill sets there. And so I, I have had a lot of great mentorship and teaching and um, patient mm. folks along the way that right. have helped me with all that. But, you know, when we talk about this notion of competency and why are we doing the military veterans program? And 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 I would just challenge the other industry leaders in the space to do the same thing I did when we started having this conversation. I said, well, I'm going to I'm going to go into our data, mm. um, which I won't get on my data soapbox, but I'm going to go into our data and I'm going to just have, you know, one of my teammates pull a small sample. And I'm going to see what the outcomes look like compared to what I know the generalizable outcomes are um, for the population that I treat because I'm in my data. Um, And when we sorted for nothing other than veteran status, it showed that we could do better. Mm. And I would challenge anyone who is working in this space to pull that data as well. Mm. You know, and make sure that the veteran population is responding to your efforts as well as everybody else. Yeah, I I agree, and and that's very responsible. Um, but again, it, it's I asked a question uh, on another podcast interview about what does um, empowerment and advocacy look like. And we kind of had to wrestle with that a little bit. But what it looks like is action. It looks like what you just said. We 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 pull data. We look at things hard. We we look under the hood. We kick the tires. We ask ourselves the critical questions that give us the real answers. Um, and and so I love that. And 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 that, and I know that to be true about your DNA, your character. Like that's you don't go to sleep at night easily without easily you knocking stop there. on those. Yeah. Doors. <laughs> Without, without knocking on those doors, right? It's important to you. Um, mm-hmm. So let's let's wind down and talk about winning. 
I came up with an acronym. Anybody that's worth their salt in the military will use acronyms as much as we. It's a love-hate relationship, but m- mine is simple. And and want to quickly move through these, and you, we may have very well answered some of these, but as the tip of the spear, we've, we've covered so many great topics, mm-hmm. right? As the leader, as the person that can show what advocacy and empowerment looks like to this particular population, we want to help people and their families to win, W-I-N. And so I talked about that in the concept, in, 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 in the context, rather, of welcoming. So how do we meet them at the door? Inspiring and navigating. So welcoming. What is welcoming from the tip of the spear? Mandy Baker, when it all boils down to who's responsible, how do we welcome veterans? How do veterans know they are welcome into the BRC family and environment? Sure. How to what does that look like to you? Well, I think part of it looks like what we're doing right here. That's right. Right? It, it, it is signaling in a broader context by our media efforts, by the conversations that we're having, by the way that we're investing company dollars. Um, to say, you're welcome here. Or we want you here even. You know, I think that there's a difference between being polite and gracious and Mm -hmm. saying, oh, well, anyone's welcome. Right. Or saying like, hey, come on in. Right. We've been waiting for you. We've been waiting for you. Yeah. We want to hear what you need. And here are some resources that we've put together that we think can help you that we've invested in as a company to hopefully make your outcome better, Mm. to make your stay more pleasant. And to help you know that other members of your tribe mm. are here. That's awesome. You know, I mean. Mm. Inspire. I, yeah, go ahead. Inspire. Go ahead. Keep going. I don't know. You know, inspiring. Um, and, and let me, let me, let me, let me help you out with this because you made a statement also, and this is relative to women, but it could be anyone. Okay. I think we inspire people through our authenticity. Mm-hmm. So you made a comment to me and you said, women need to be able to look at me and say she made it. Mm. You remember that? I do remember that. Yeah. I actually remember that That conversation very well. Wow. But whether it's that conversation or, uh, you know, the gentleman we were talking about, the, the general and the almost private, how do we inspire people through our lived experience? I think- how do you do it? Well, I, I don't know that I do. I hope oh, that I do. you do, sister. I think that um, how do we inspire people? I think by talking about some of the hard parts of our world, mm. by saying that, you know, it's it's very, very easy that there was a, a woman I worked with one time in, in a different sort of capacity who said, what do you know about my life? Mm, I've heard that. You know, she said, what do you know about working? Your parents paid for you to go to college. Your parents have money. Mm. You drive a nice car. I'm sure they bought that for you. And I was Mm. like, hold hold on a minute. Mm. Hold on. You know, would you like to know about me? Mm. You know, and and so being at least somewhat approachable, Mm. I think, is inspiring. Mm. Um, I, I think also being 
protective is inspiring okay. in some ways in the sense that uh, I think we have to signal in the marketplace that we want veterans in such a way that we're not exploiting their stories. I think there's a lot of political capital trading, um, for lack of a better term, around veterans and their lived experience and who should do what for them and who shouldn't do what for them. And and I didn't want to get in that space. And that's why, I, I mean, I would kind of point the question back at you and say, I'm not a veteran. You are. What inspires you? Yeah. You know, or at, you know, the other collection of veterans that are coming to help us with this project. I asked my dad about it when I saw him over the holiday. Yes, I know. You know, I said, Dad, what, I mean, what should I be doing? Mm. You know, how does this resonate with you? Mm. Um, and so we ask this question a lot. As, as a clinician, we ask this clinician, you know, we, we call it strengths, needs, um, abilities, and preferences, right? Mm. So what are some strengths you have? What are some needs you have? And, and you know, I think we stay pretty surface level with, uh, with a lot of times. But I, I like that question, and yeah. I may challenge my team to implement it about what ex- inspires you, yeah. what helps you get up in the morning. Because what helps me get up in the morning is not the same thing that helps you get up in the morning. Or it could be, but, right. you know, but, like, Right. How do I inspire you versus how I inspire an 18-year-old female versus, right. you know, uh, I mean, part of it, I think what people need to hear a lot of the time is like, I know it is hard. Mm. And trust me long enough so that you can see that it's going to be okay. Right. You know? Yeah. You don't have to trust me with your firstborn. But, right. but trust me here where I'm an expert. Right. Because I'm not an expert where you are. Right. And I think knowing what inspires people, uh, one of your clinicians that I had an opportunity to speak with said, you know, the beginning of everything is listening. Mm-hmm. So to know what they need and and curate and tailor inspiration around that human being that's in front of you that goes that goes a long way. And and so once we've welcomed them and inspired them, there's this road, there's this journey, and it's called navigation. Mm-hmm. And the, an example I gave from the military, which might be another learning point for you, we do land navigation. We have to learn how to get around in the wilderness, right? Mm-hmm. And one of the things we're, we're that taught to do— That would explain why do, my dad used to like drive me out in the field and be right. like— I'm going to drive away and you got to find me. <laughs> that would be a dyed-in-the-wool military cat. Absolutely. Yeah. And there's some pragmatic, you know, value to that. Yeah. But what we learn is that we, we shoot this thing called an azimuth, which gives us our north. And it, we think we know north, but if we keep our head down and walk in what, we, what appears to be north, we're going to be going northeast or northwest. In a matter of time, we'll be off. So the idea is holding your head up. And, mm-hmm. and, and literally, and you've seen the posture, right, of a person that's defeated, dejected. It's, it's body language. It's, there's no head up. The shoulders are slumped. So in your own road in recovery, briefly tell me what you can pass along to someone as a navigation tool to allow them to focus on the goal and get there. I think what I've learned in my own personal recovery and also in the opportunities I've had to watch 
I don't know how many people grapple with this mystery of how to get well from substance use disorder. Um, is that everybody that I have ever encountered in this line of work, my personal recovery and the people that I encounter there has something that matters deeply mm -hmm. to them. Absolutely. And that is the North, you yeah. know? And and I think sometimes we judge maybe what it is. Maybe, maybe it's something as grand as I want my kids back, right? Which, of course you do. Or maybe it's something that I want a motorcycle. Okay, well, let's not discount that because it's a material thing. Right. But but if we can find inside of ourselves what matters, mm. then everything else gets quiet. Wow. You know? Yeah. And, and, and if we have our head on that true north and, and we keep our eyes on, okay, as hard as it gets, does that make that thing matter less? Mm. Because it doesn't. No. The, the thing that people are in that seat for, because look, everyone in treatment, and, and people argue this point with me sometimes, everyone in treatment in this country, even if they are forced there by the criminal justice system, has something inside of them that wants to be better or else. They would take a general population sentencing. They would, I mean, there's drugs in prison. Absolutely. There's alcohol in prison. You know, even people who say, well, my parents are going to cut me off financially if I don't go to treatment. Therefore, I'm not here of my own free will. Well, of course you are, because right. it matters to you either that your parents give you money or that they're still in your life. And there's always something that matters. Mm. And that's the true north. And hold your head and hold your focus on what matters. And mm. if that is like, you know, I need to walk again. I need to be able to have a job again. Mm. I need to have a vehicle again. I want my kids back. I don't want my parents to look at me with that look of disappointment in their eyes. I want my educational goals back. You know, whatever that is. It, it, and look, I mean, it's not for me to say, and it's not for you to say, it's not for anybody to right. say what matters to another human being. Right. The point mm -hmm. is, what, is it ma what matters right now? And can you focus on that long enough? Because pain is temporary. Mm. Pleasure is temporary. Right. Everything's temporary. Right. This too will pass. Yes. Whether it's good, whether it's bad. Right. You know? I think it's I think it's a great notion that we draw from our Buddhist friends, right? In the sense that um, change, 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 change. Right. You know, we may suffer one day, and we may be on the hilltop of joy the next, and neither one of those are permanent. The concept of impermanence, coupled with what matters, that's mm -hmm. how you get through the day. I love it. I love it. Let's end on this. Um, so many great nuggets have been dropped, so many great things to think about. Uh, this is definitely a conversation that leans into <clears throat> thought leadership. The things we're thinking coming out of our mouths and we're just dialoguing, we're going back and forth. Um, one of the environments within BRC is known as Makana Path. Mm -hmm. Makana is a Hawaiian word, it which is. I understand means gift. 
same. That is my also my understanding. I okay. did Google it once. Okay. But I do not speak native Hawaiian. Well, the only word in Hawaiian that's going to matter for this conversation is makana. So we're going to agree that that means gift. Okay. If you were to describe from your purview, which matters, you are in re- active recovery. And oh, by the way, congratulations Thank tomorrow. You. How many years? Enough. Okay. <laughs> A few, right? A few. Plus, plus, wanna, plus, plus, plus. I don't want to date myself. Yeah. Well, the bottom line is it's congratulations. Thank you. And I think that coming from me to you is something that I want to be part of my muscle memory. I know several people um, as a non-card-carrying member of that community that that's just that's just huge props. Like, that's a big deal. That's a big deal. So Thank I appreciate you, that. Thank you. And, and I respect you for what it's taken to get there. And that perhaps um, is part of the answer to this question. But if you focus and think about the the veteran community that you so desire to serve at BRC. What is BRC's gift Mm. to that community that is given with no requirement for anything in return? What, what, what would you, what would you express that gift to be? That's a tough one. The first word that comes to my mind is rest. Mm, wow, that's powerful. Mm-hmm. That's really powerful. I mean, that's that's just what popped into my head no, when you said great. that. Yeah, rest. That's great. And 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 don't we all want a place? And I don't think rest is being sedentary, stopping. No, no, it, no. Of it course. is just a peace of mind, and an, it just it is what it is. It's rest. Yeah, I love rest. that. As opposed to several other things, running and yeah, striving. Well, I think those of us who are, you know, who are or who have been consumers of mental health in all of its facets, sometimes you just want your mind to be quiet. Mm, I've heard that. Mm-hmm. I've experienced that. Mm-hmm. Just, you know, stillness, rest. Wow. And Again. It's impermanent. <laughs> but, Correct. But if you want your days to have more quiet in your mind mm. than more screaming yeah. in your mind. Right. I think we can offer that. I love that. You know, Mandy, I um I can't say that I ever grow weary of our conversations. Same. They're always Same. just awesome. Um I'm not a script guy. I'm not a uh, plan the conversation guy. I definitely knew enough about our relationship and what we're doing together to know this mm-hmm. conversation would carry itself. And so sure. I thank you. Well, thank you. It's it, it helps me become better as well. Absolutely. So we thank you as well for tuning in to this episode of The John Sterling Show. We hope that we've uh, unearthed some great conversations and allowed the listeners to uh, fall into a mindset, uh, and, and an opportunity uh, to understand a little bit more about what BRC is doing in the veteran community. We thank you and appreciate you.